There are 68 million refugees in the world today and another 100 million living on the verge of becoming refugees. And so this is a global crisis. Um, And and it's a population that honestly hasn't been served very well across the world, um, especially in financial services. Many banks are unwilling to serve refugees because of the perceived risk. And so what they end up doing is when they're forced to flee their country, they either forfeit all value, all the things that they've worked so hard to earn throughout their entire life, or they scramble and get as much cash as they can, put it on their body, and hope that it makes it across the border. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Give a Damn podcast, where we truly believe the powerful words of Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, the time is always right to do what is right. My name is Nick LaPara. I'm your host and your friend. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? No, really, how are you? I want to know. I get direct messages, Facebook messages, emails, and so much more from you all the time, but I want more of them. I love hearing from you. It's one of my favorite parts about being a podcast host and about giving this podcast to you. I'm very interested in you becoming a damn giver, and the only way I know if that's happening or not is if you tell me. So make sure to hit me up. My email is hello at nicklapara.com. That's our direct line of communication between you and me. Or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace. I am Nick LaPara everywhere, at Nick LaPara. Also, I know I've asked you this before, but would you consider telling one friend about the podcast this week? If and only if this podcast means something to you, tell a friend. That would mean the world to me. My guest today is Tori Samples. She's a wonderful human, and I'm thrilled to be able to share some of her story and work with you today. Tori got a degree in HARP from Vanderbilt, but that is not what she's doing today. I mean, I wouldn't mind if she made a living being a harpist because I love me some HARP and I'm not lying, but she went on to co-found Leaf Global Fintech, AKA Virtual Banking Beyond Borders. There are 70 million refugees around the world right now and 100 million more people on the brink of becoming refugees. Tori and her team at LEAF envision a future where all refugees are able to spend money, receive money, and save money safely, and so much more. This is a beautiful vision, and I'm so thrilled that I got to spend a few minutes with Tori learning about her story and a little more about who refugees are, what their needs are, and we explore how LEAF plans to accomplish this rather huge task. Shall we dive in? Let's do it. Here's my conversation with co-founder of Leaf and awesome, awesome human, Tori Samples. Tori Samples, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tori, you are, we met last week um, at a uh, impact lab, social impact group uh, gathering at a bar. And that was super fun to hear your story. You kind of gave like a real quick pitch to everybody there about what you're doing. I was like, I've got to talk to her. And there's a few reasons why, because I think you're doing something really unique. We've had nobody on. We've had very few people on that have anything to do in the tech world, uh, but specifically what you're doing. Uh, a few things stuck out to me that I'm real excited to get into. Um, but before we get into Leaf Global FinTech, everything you're doing for work, how you got there, let's talk about, let's find out who you are. Sure. So give me a little bit of, give us a little bit of your story, the who's, the when's, the where's, anything that'll help us get a grasp on who you are today. 
Yeah. Um, I'll preface with that I've been reading a bit about storytelling, and I know enough to know that the story does not have a clear beginning, middle, end. Perfect. So um, we'll see how it goes. It's It can come across disjointed, but I see a lot of clear threads through it, and so yeah. I hope I'm able to point those out or paint those accurately for you guys as well. Sure. Go for it. Um, so I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. All of my family is there, grew up there, um, and randomly enough had always had friends and family ties to Africa, Africans in the U.S. Um, that was kind of my thing growing up, especially when my family helped a family of Sudanese, South Sudanese refugees um, acclimate to the U.S. From day one, off the plane, uh, we became their family. They adopted us, we adopted them, um, and that led to complete immersion in that community for a long time. Were they just moving here or were they refugees? Were they, they were running refugees. from... Okay, yep. so refugees. Okay. Yeah, so they had actually been in Egypt for three years waiting to be resettled, uh, but had left on foot in the middle of the night, gave up everything they owned um, to come here. And so it was, you know, it's, it's left a huge mark on my life. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, I'm sure. But definitely part of my formative experience in, in my family dynamic. Um, from there, I moved to Nashville in 2008 to go to Vanderbilt University, majored in harp performance and global public health. Um, very practical degree. No, I'm, yeah, I'm just so kidding. I, I love the fact that I have a performance degree and it comes in handy every day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm so sure. So wh- how long had you played harp before making that your degree? About so I played for about nine years before college, um, and then you know I, I knew going into college that I didn't want to do music full time professionally, but thought you know I'm never going to get another four years to dedicate myself to this like I can while I'm in college, and so that's why I double majored, intended to go into global health. Very quickly found out that no one pays a 21 year old to go design health systems in Africa. Um, so a l- little bit of a, a disconnect there, but I got an email when I graduated that said, it was from Vanderbilt said, Hey, if you're interested in a job at HCA hospital corporation of America in Nashville, email your resume to this guy. So I did, um, showed up for the interview and I was like, yeah, global health, American healthcare, I can make this work. Um, and they, they said, we're so glad you're here because of your transferable skills from music. And I was like, what? what? Um, okay. <laughs> and, and they said, uh, it's an IT job. I was like, nope, I'm out. This is not for me. Um, definitely not. But it so up was, to this point, a few years ago, you had done nothing in IT. Absolutely. Right? Global yeah, health, no, harp. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, not my thing. You know, I'm like, I can turn on a computer and that's about it. Um, but it was the recession. You do what you need to do. And turns out I loved it. Long Mm. story short, I joined HCA as a data architect, taught myself to code, benefited from a lot of very savvy technical mentors at HCA, and and really enjoyed that. There are a lot of similarities between music and IT, just in working with symbolic languages and the ways that you have to think about form and structure. And coding is way more creative than people give it credit for. Um, So I really enjoyed it. And I thought it would be short term, but I loved it enough that um, a few years in, when my husband and I were thinking about doing something else, I decided to take a short term leave of absence for six months rather than leave my job. In that time, we moved to Tanzania, where I worked in HIV clinics, and my husband um, worked with English teachers there. And then we studied at a theological center in the Alps in Switzerland, and that was Wait, just which one? Libri. Yeah, I thought so. My favorite place on earth. Um, yeah. Big plug for that. Yeah. Everybody should go look it up. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a place that I come home to as often as I can. It's the mm. place I feel most home on earth. 
Um, but coming back from that, went back to HCA over the course of a few years, started picking up some business functions, enjoyed it, had never taken a business class in my life, obviously. Uh, so I decided I should go to business school. Um, so then I, I went back to Vanderbilt and got my MBA, just graduated this May with that and, and had a very set plan on what I wanted to do with that in healthcare, very passionate about healthcare. Um, but as life would have it, that's, that's not how it turned out and it's all the better for it. Um, and so Vandy is where I met now my co-founder with Leaf, Nat Robinson. And we, um, we met through a pitch competition here at Vanderbilt. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I mm. got a little bit too into it. These things are great. You basically get a challenge or a prompt. They've got a specified amount of time. You go work on it and present your recommendations. Um, it's a very weird hobby of mine, but I love doing these things. Yeah. And so the two of us got paired to work on a challenge related to the refugee crisis in September of 2016. And okay. we ended up doing well with that, um, had a couple other friends on the team, competed in Dubai for that, and um, it's all sponsored by the Clinton Foundation, it's called the Holt Prize, but mm. um, didn't end up winning in Dubai. I was so fine with that. I, Why you know, I, I had my life plan, and so oh, sure. I was yeah, like, yeah. you know, I can't, this I can't a, go do this thing. For you, at yeah. that point, it was like a fun exactly. project. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't realize is that for Nat, my co-founder, uh, he was actually really disappointed about it. He wanted to do it, and so he went back, took that idea, got some advice to ap or to apply his background in financial services to the refugee crisis, and then kind of looped me back in for the personal experience with refugees and the tech side. Um, he, again things that he didn't tell me when we first met. He's just an incredibly wonderful and humble human being. Mm -hmm. He actually went to Vanderbilt about 10 years ago, got his MBA, and then started and ran a microfinance company in Kenya for seven years before coming back to Vandy Law School. So um, while you were doing HCA, he was there kind of the same time frame? Was so, he about your age? Um, he's a little bit older. Okay. Yeah. So he was in law school at the same time that I was in business school. Okay, right. and, and we both just graduated. Um, Real quickly, mm -hmm. uh, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned your husband. What is, because he went over there, you said he taught like, yes. in, a, in a school? Yeah, so he's he's a teacher here okay. in the U.S. Um, okay. He works at a charter school that's predominantly, um, it, well, it's focused on integration. So there's no racial majority, but they have a lot of immigrant and refugee children there. Mm. Um, it's a really wonderful what place. What school is it? It's called Valor Collegiate Academy oh, in Nashville. It. Yeah. yeah, it's focused on social emotional learning and really holistic learning. Um, just incredible place for children and staff, for students and staff. Um, but he, he had been teaching in the U.S. and then in Tanzania, he was actually working with English teachers on how how best to teach English. A lot of them, it's a second language for them. And so trying to teach effectively is is challenging as it would be for any of us. So that's what he was doing there. I love it. So uh, you guys do this pitch competition, you lose, you're mm -hmm. okay with it. He's disappointed. You come back and you start working on it. So how, how did it take form? How did Leaf take form? When were you... And when were you like bought in? You're like, okay, all these other things aside, this is what I need to do. Because we're only yeah. talking a couple years ago, right? Or less than a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, less than a year, yeah. So I was I was a very reluctant co-founder, I guess, um, at the beginning. I So there was a team that went out over summer of 2017, a year ago, and did a market validation in seven countries, um, kind of looking, looking at this idea of 
financial services for refugees and what the underlying challenges are and what an appropriate solution might be. Um, there are a lot of people who have looked at the loans side, but not yep. too many on the savings side. And so they sure. had a bit of focus on that. That's while I was doing my MBA internship here in Nashville at one of our big hospitals. Um, and so when we all got back to school in August, um, there was a team who had been working on it over the summer and, and Nat asked me to get back into this. And it really came down to um, presenting in Denver Startup Week last year. Mm -hmm. We got into the finals of that. And so he's like, Tori, will you come with me and do this? Will you pitch this with me? Again, performance background. I love being on stage. Um, and I'd worked on this, have the personal refugee experience. And I was like, nope, don't want to. Um, too many things going on that week. I just, I'm not interested. And, and he thankfully, um, asked a few more times until I said yes. And in. yes, I did. And, and I'm, again, I'm so glad that I did. My life would have been completely different. Um, but that's, that's when everything kind of changed for me, seeing an audience understand and pick up the idea, seeing them relate to that, um, from their own personal experiences and experience borrowed from friends and family members. Um, I think that, you know, I, I so strongly believe that this idea has the potential to impact the world and starting with refugees, but there are lots of people that are affected by the problem of carrying cash across borders or oh, not sure. being able to send money effectively across borders. Yep. Um, and so that, that was really the first time that it resonated with me. And then that was in September of 2017. And from there, I kind of jumped in and um, became all about it and... That's history. No, I mean, it, it is a big problem uh, for everyone, especially mm -hmm. for refugees. Just yep. the other week, I was helping a friend who needed some financial help. He's in Houston. Uh, he's had a really bad run and didn't didn't have a bank account right now. So I'm sending money multiple days in a row over Western Union. Yeah. And each time oh, there's a so charge. Hard. Right. So it's, it's they got to give him the 10 digit mm -hmm. number. He's got to take that there. And every time I got charged and I was like, man, do I want to yeah. <laughs> put the charge on him later on when he says he's going to pay me back? It was just a whole, mm -hmm. it was a whole thing, right? It's very antiquated kind of, kind of deal that we have going on right yep. now. But especially, so I'm real excited. The re, one of the main reasons, I mean, I wanted to talk with you anyway, but the refugee part of this, because yep. I'm a huge, uh, it's a big part of my life in the heart. And there's such a misunderstood group of people and yes. it, they shouldn't be misunderstood. Like, Part, on the one hand, it's like, how, why are there so many questions about, and, and why are you not doing your homework before casting judgment over mm -hmm. this humongous population of the world? But I'm really excited that you're working in this arena. So tell me how it works. Uh, yeah. Where did Leaf come from, the name? Yep. <laughs> where did the company come from? And what, what exactly are you doing? Yeah, so it's Leaf Global Fintech, and it's banking beyond the branch, uh, looking at this problem of, like you mentioned, people who don't have bank accounts, who are unbanked, underbanked, um, and specifically refugees. There are 68 million refugees in the world today, and another 100 million living on the verge of becoming refugees. And so this is a wow. global crisis. Um, and, and it's a population that honestly hasn't been served very well across the world, um, especially in financial services. Many banks are unwilling to serve refugees because of the perceived risk. And so what they end up doing is when they're forced to flee their country, they either forfeit all value, all the things that they've worked so hard to earn throughout their entire life, or they scramble and get as much cash as they can put it on their body and hope that it makes it across the border. Which is hugely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. It puts you at risk of violence. If you and have money theft. and the thousand people next to you don't. Yep. And border guards, I mean, if you're sure. carrying everything you own, yep. odds are they know what's going on. Um, and so, 
even if you're able to get it across borders, it then becomes very inconvenient and expensive to exchange. Sure. And that's yeah. exactly what you experience with Western Union. Um, you know, anybody trying to send money to them, they're going to have to go physically pick up that cash. Yep. Then you get into the violence and theft piece again. Yep. Um, but then honestly, like who wants Congolese francs in the world? Not many people. Yeah. Um, and so they're losing value at every step along the way. And so what we do is we provide financial services so that they can safely store and transport assets across borders. Um, it's a unique combination because most available services today are just storage or transport. Um, storage is like your local banks or mobile money in a lot of regions uh, that can't cross borders. And then you've got your Western Union, MoneyGram that can get it across borders for a very high fee. And often you're waiting um, for that confirmation. That's something that a refugee doesn't have the luxury of, of doing. Um, and so that's that was the problem and the solution that we came up with. On the technical side, how it works, um, we convert mobile money through blockchain technology into stable investments. Uh, so blockchain is a piece of our e ecosystem. We use it for storage transaction, mm -hmm. or transaction storage and cross-border asset transfer. We don't store value in cryptocurrency, so we're not exposed to that, that volatility. Yep. Yeah, not investing refugees' money in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. Um, and then we use biometric authentication to make sure that the same person is the same person on both sides of that border. Sure. So if a refugee loses their phone, loses their passport, they still have access to their finances and we make it available it to them. It just goes to them wherever they go. Yeah, exactly. And it's all tied to a mobile device. Um, so they can access this through SMS. It doesn't require a smartphone. Um, no matter where they go in the world or how long it takes them to get there, they'll have access to their finances. What do they need? So if, if it's tied to a mobile device, but not maybe the one they have in their hand because mm -hmm. that could get lost or stolen, how do they access it? Is it like they have to know a number to call, quote unquote call, and then they have a, 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 a digit, you know, a series yeah. of digits they put in, or how does it work? Yep. So they can they can access it um, through a web-based platform if they have access to the internet, sure. if they're in a place that's a little bit more stable, um, or they can access it through a feature phone. And yeah, it's, it's making that call out. And then um, we validate through facial recognition, vocal recognition, and a password um, to make sure that the platform is secure. Um, and then when, when a refugee gets to a point of safety, whether that's a camp or resettled in another country, whatever that is, they can pull that money down into the new local currency um, or use it as collateral on a microloan. So, so when it works well, it's just a seamless process. It just, yeah. it just well, and, works. And at the end of the day, it's helping them establish an economic identity sure. because that's what they lose in all of this. You know, there's the personal savings piece, there's connection to friends and family, but you know, the, the piece that's so hard is that even if they're one of the lucky few who gets resettled somewhere, they're going to show up and not have any economic mm -hmm. identity. So why would a bank open an account on their behalf? Why would they be able to get a loan? All of this is building that history and it's uniquely tied to them in a secure and transparent way so that they can be successful with an additional, you know, higher account balance wherever they end up. Is it working? Is it currently working yeah. and helping people so, or where, where are you guys in we're the very early stage still yep. um, we've run a pilot in Rwanda and Congo that's okay. where we're focusing initially because both my co-founder and I have that East Africa experience and, yep. and Rwanda is actually very pro-tech pro-business um, it's a great place to start and they've got high flows of refugees and existing use of mobile money uh, which allows us to operate without a heavy presence on the ground um, and so we've run a pilot there to establish the technical side of things and the market demand and you know, being on the tech side, I'm like, nothing ever works perfectly, you know, the first time you try to do it. And we showed up and it's like, 
Whoa, it worked. It all worked. What's wrong? You're like knocking um, on wood everywhere, crossing yes, your fingers. Exactly. Well, and even like the biometrics component, we didn't know if people were going to be okay having their picture taken and their voice recorded. We were looking for a small handful of people to test this thing. And we show up and there are about 30 people waiting on us. And we wow. ask who wants to do this. And every hand in the room goes up. They're like, yeah, of course I want to try this. This is going to make my life a whole lot easier. Um, and so that's, that was a phenomenal experience from there. We've been doing a lot of partnership development work, um, in Rwanda and Congo, because we, in order to make the regulatory frameworks work to our advantage, we go through a partnership model, um, so that we're not personally regulated as a bank. Um, and so that's, that's what we've been doing over the last couple months and really looking forward to a full scale pilot in the fall in, in Rwanda's regulatory sandbox environment in partnership with a regional bank there. Once we establish that that regulatory compliance, because that's the big deal in all of this, it's not the technology or the market side, um, then we'll be able to start really rolling out operations. Fantastic. And I just want to point out to everyone listening, and you, you just went full-time recently, yes. right? So there's yeah. two of you full-time, which is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I'm, I'm still really not full-time with, with, with anything <laughs> that I'm doing. It's all just cobbling it together. So that's a big accomplishment. Congrats. Yes. Super exciting. Um, so there's two of you full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your plan for growth or is it just one step at a time, add people as you need them? I'm sure funding is a part of it as well. Funding is definitely a piece. Um, we have been really thankful. We've we've gotten a lot of grant-based funding through mm-hmm. these pitch competitions and various sure. grants that we've applied for. And so it's allowed us to make a lot of traction without having taken on investors yet. We're getting to that point where, you know, we're we're ready for institutional capital, uh, but we've been able to do a lot on a little. We actually- yeah, yeah. Um, Get as far as you can without yeah. it. We, uh, we presented at South by Southwest this year and won their Best Bootstrap Award. So that was exciting. Um, but coming up in the next few months, I think that we our next hires are building out our tech team. Uh, my background is as a data architect. I've been on the product development side of things, but only in one piece of that. And so you know, building out that whole framework, that whole team, um, and then getting in-country support as well. So hiring people in Rwanda, in Congo, who are going to be able to roll this out really effectively. I have a few questions that I want to ask. I want to get I want to get some wisdom from you. But before we get there, let's talk refugees for a second. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I think most of the people listening to this show are probably, for the sake of the current conversation happening in our, they're pro refugee, pro. Let's figure out how to take care of them well, get them here, integrate them into our society. And I know that there are some that are not, uh, and, and that's fine. God bless you. But. Let's clear up a few things. And we've done this yep. a couple times before in different ways, but I want to get your perspective on it. Who are these refugees? How long are they typically in transit, en route, before they actually get here? Um, g- just kind of give us an overview and whatever you know. I mean, I don't yep. know. Your, your da- I'm sure you know because this is, your, this is your new world. But yeah, just give us kind of a framework for who these people are. And, and I know who they are. I take care of you know, some amazing people here in Nashville. I'm part of a team that takes care of some people here in Nashville that are coming here from the Congo. Mm-hmm. And, and we've always tried to be involved in refugee communities. And so I know I've met them. I've touched them. We've hugged. We've eaten together. But a lot of people haven't. And I think that's where most of the misconceptions come from is when people, they have these, you know, they've heard something from a certain someone's Twitter account or, you know, they've heard stuff, yeah. but they've not yet met one. They've not yet had a conversation one, with one. They don't have a relationship with one. And I think that's where the walls come tumbling down. Um, and so give us your 
I know I kind of gave a lot of preface to that question, but <laughs> give us your take on it. Well, you, uh, you've opened up a can of worms here because I could talk about this forever. Well, yeah, um, I mean, just keep, keep going. Keep rolling. So I would say, who are these people? They are people just like you and me. Yeah. They are normal people up until the day that they're not. And, and it could happen to you or I um, any day of the week, depending on where we live in the world. And, you know, th- it's a very diverse population. You have people who are lower income and higher income and more and less financial financially secure in all different sorts of professions and the arts and everything. Um, and, and we see this in every refugee crisis. You know, they're, they're all a little bit different. Uh, if you look at the crisis in Congo over the last 20 years versus Syria just in the last few, um, you know, different types of conflict, but people are people all over the world. Um, and in the resettlement process, I think this is where a lot of those misconceptions come in. Refugees are the most screened population that come into the U.S. They go through three distinct screenings before they're ever allowed to get on a plane. Um, they receive three months of support from our government, and they're forced to pay back their plane tickets as soon as they get a job. Stop. I didn't even know that. Yep. I knew all the other stuff. Yeah, it's a loan. It's a, uh, Yeah. But I think that a lot of people, they're here. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that people assume that they're giving, that they're getting a lot more help than they are. But realistically, most of the assistance comes through resettlement agencies in the US, um, you know, churches and different religious organizations, just individuals, like you said yourself. Um, And that makes such a difference. And that's been my experience. You know, I, I mentioned these are people that I consider my family. I've walked through high highs and incredibly low lows mm. with these people. I don't think I don't think people understand mm-hmm. how incredibly difficult it is to succeed as a refugee in the US. Um, you show up, nobody wants you here, Mm-mm. you can't get a job, you don't Mm-mm. speak the language, Mm-mm. you've just lost access to everything that you had at mm-hmm. home. Um, I remember, you know, this the family that I mentioned, they came with three suitcases and um, the, the father, the head of the household, asked my dad coming off the plane, handed him all the cash he had and said, can you get this exchanged into U.S. dollars for me? And my dad did. And it's the equivalent of 10 U.S. dollars. Wow. And that's his life savings at that point. Um, and mm. I, I don't think people understand how much your financial situation impacts your ability to succeed here, even if you're doing all the right things. Um, and so, you know, there are refugees all over the U.S. And, and I would encourage people, go out, get to know people. It's okay if you don't know how to find a refugee. There are agencies that will help you do that. Yeah. And do there are homework. lots of, yeah, there are lots of ways to get involved. Um, you know, we obviously have, have capped the number now to 45,000 per year that are coming into the U.S. Uh, for reference, that's smaller than Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, and so it's a small population now, but there are still people all around the world that need our help and are eager to do whatever they can to contribute to our country or whatever country they end up in. Um, and my experience is that the people who come here are incredibly grateful, work extremely hard and will make the community a better place. I, yeah, I feel all of that. And I know all that to be true. The family that we were taking care of for the last few months and I say were because I've passed the baton to a new team that's going to be taking care of them uh, in the last couple of weeks. But they just had to move out of their apartments here to a cheaper one outside the city because the older son had gotten a job and then mm-hmm. one of the daughters had gotten a job and so their funding got cut off. Yeah. And I'm, I, I won't even mention the agency because I don't want anybody to think poorly of them. Like they have 
limited resources. Sure. They've got to get them to people that have zero jobs, right? Like I, I understand it sucks, but I understand. But they, yeah, they were kind of stranded. No vehicle at this point yet. Their funding had run out. The three months had run out. So they're literally, I mean, they're the poorest of poor here. Try, but but mm-hmm. working so hard, these teenagers working their asses off to try to make it work. So I know that. I've seen it. Um, I don't even know where you are politically, but but I want to, if President Trump were to be sitting right across from you today, in one paragraph, what would you communicate to him about the refugees that you've come in contact with, the ones that he's never come in contact with? I would say, don't think of these people as refugees. Think of them as the people that might end up supporting you someday. The people who find themselves disadvantaged, who want a better opportunity in life, who want to work, um, who want to make this a better place. They're willing to assimilate in a lot of ways um, to make it work for, for themselves and their children, for better or for worse. Um, and, and they add value, as I said. They're taking the jobs that a lot of Americans won't, um, pulling pig's eyes out of them for 12 hours at a time and mm-hmm. dissecting turkeys. And mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are making this a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all are a byproduct of America's invitation to come here. And so I don't think that we can ethically stand by and say, we will watch you die. We will watch you walk across continents and we will not welcome you. Yeah, the beautiful words at the foot of the Statue of Liberty are not mm-hmm. for white, middle-class to upper-class people wanting to come in. Yep. She pretty much covers everyone, mm-hmm. right? One thing that's that I've found to be super helpful for my life and that I've been able to communicate to lots of people and they've kind of owned this idea is to stop thinking so much of your the country we live in, we should be proud of it. We should mm-hmm. be happy to be there, yep. whatever, right? Support it in you know variety of ways. I pay my tax to do all these things, but I don't first. I don't firstly see myself as a citizen of the U.S. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a citizen of the world, right? That's that, and I grew up all over the world. I've literally grew up in Guatemala, then spent six years traveling the world, thirty plus countries. I've seen the world, and I much prefer to think of myself as a citizen of the world. And I think when you do that, when you have an allegiance for your country, for your the place where you live, but you also see everyone as your neighbor, right? I'm a Christian. Uh, love God and love your neighbor are the mm-hmm. two biggest, you know, the two greatest commands. The neighbor was left very vague because it means every, it means all others. It means all the people that we come in contact with and the people that, you know, we will come in contact with, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's been a huge help for me. I don't know how you think about that, but I just see my first allegiance to the planet. <laughs> because it because the things that can and can happen here as a result of us not they can affect a lot more than just us right mm-hmm. so anyway I don't know if you we'll just we'll move on Good from stuff. there yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, why have you chosen this life why do you give a damn in this way Oof. there's a lot of things you could do and places you could go um, I mean harp I'd I'd love to hear you play harp all day I'm a huge fan of <laughs> classical music and you know, the kind of music you play, maybe you should go do that professionally for your living or there's a lot of things you could do and you've chosen to get into fintech, but not just any fintech, uh, but fintech to primarily help refugees. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Like what's going on inside of you? 
Well, I mean, I'll be the first to say this is unexpected. Never thought I would be working in financial anything, um, but it's such an opportunity. And, and to be able to do something that I've been passionate about personally in a professional context is an opportunity I never thought I'd have. Um, to do that with a person that I greatly respect and admire and enjoy working with, um, that's an added bonus. To be able to do it from Nashville is great for me. This is my home and I love this city. Um, and, and I'll say, because I haven't mentioned this yet, the resettled refugee community in Nashville has been really helpful to us. Mm. Um, this is a place where they've been able to provide invaluable um, advice to us and connections across the world. And so I think for them, it's like, you know, they understand the value of what we're doing, but they also enjoy the ability to to rely on who they used to be instead of just this label of refugee that we put on them now that mm. they're in the U.S. Yeah. What advice do you have for those listening um, if they are thinking about giving back in some way, giving a damn, but they're, they haven't quite made the leap, they haven't quite gotten there yet, and you know wh whether it's complacency or laziness or Netflix is calling my name or whatever the case may be, what would your advice be to kind of, you know, put a spark under their ass to like get them going. Like what yeah. would you, yeah, just like what would your motivational advice be? Well, it's obviously it's going to look different for everybody, sure. right? I yep. mean, for me, it's it's refugees, but for somebody else, it could be composting. Also a big fan yeah. of composting. Yep. Um, but, you know, it could be anything. And so I would say, you know, find those things when you're watching Netflix that get you excited about what's on Netflix. Sure. And then go figure out how to bring that into your own life. Um, we live in an age of unprecedented opportunity and information and access to pretty much everything. And so I'd say, you know, use... Use your position in life to do what you do best and what excites you at the end of the day. Um, that often looks like putting one foot in front of the other, and it's not glamorous. It's not sexy every day. Um, you know, I, I think back to my experiences in healthcare, and people are like, oh, you're working in HIV clinics in Tanzania. And it's like, you know what I did a lot of the day? I swept the floor mm -hmm. because that's what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're getting those moments where you see impact, but that's not what it's about at the end of the day. And so I'd say as you start to do that, don't rely on those big milestones to keep you going because that's not what it's about, but you will see that if you stick with it. And so whatever that is for you, go find a way to do it and tell people about it so that you are actually accountable to it. What are you doing five years from today? July 19th, 2023. Paint that day for me. <laughs> um, well, Leaf is obviously all around the world. Um, yes, we've expanded into Colombia and Venezuela and Bangladesh and Syria and all of these places. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know what day of the week it is. Maybe it doesn't matter. But but I think that I am content with my with my family, with my husband, um, with my coworkers, continuing to draw meaning um, from from this experience that hopefully by then, you know, has gone through a growth stage and is is secure and sustainable. Um, and we're getting to see the impact of the people that we're working with. There would be nothing better for me than to be able to sit down with some of our customers and, and hear about the things that they've been able to do as a result of being financially secure and having that peace of mind. It's a wonderful day. Five years it from really now. It really is. We'll have to catch back up and see if that happens <laughs> in 2023. Uh, two more questions, but before I get there, I want to make a statement. The statement is, I want to honor you for the Thanks. work that you're doing. So specifically with what you're doing, you had a different plan for life mm -hmm. and life threw you a curveball. 
and you you went with it, right? Even if it took the persistence of your co-founder and different life situations to mm -hmm. get you there, you didn't stick to your guns and what you had gone to school. What You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you had a trajectory, you had a path and life said, I think you need to be over here. And who knows how long this will last? Maybe this is a 10 year venture for you. But you answered the call and because of that, hopefully tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of refugees will be safer, they'll be more economically stable. Yep and they'll get where they're going faster because of the services you provide. So thanks for doing that. Um, and obviously I wish you the best of luck and Thank you. hope that this really, really works. Cause thanks. I don't know what the success rate of FinTech companies and like startup companies right now. It closer just, to zero than closer, 100. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, and so obviously we wish you the best of luck to, and I think you do, I mean, even the, the, the amount of pitches that you guys have won, like that just doesn't happen, right? So obviously, in the different South by Southwest and in Colorado and in like all these different places where you've pitched and, uh, you know, gotten up approved in the form mm -hmm. of prizes or whatever, like that's a testament to, oh, well, there's a lot of fintech stuff going on right now. Lots, a lot. There's a lot of blockchain, cryptocurrency shit going on. Yeah. Everybody's, it's the big thing. And they're saying, well, this is special. This is different. This is cool. This could really work and benefit a lot of people. Um, so exciting stuff ahead. Thanks. Um, penultimate question. It's a hype. There's a hypothetical part to it. The, the the not hypothetical part is that someday you're going to die. Hopefully, it's many many years from now. But you're going to die. The death rate is 100. percent So last time I checked. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, uh, for some odd reason, 85 years from now, when you die, I get asked to give your eulogy. So in front of uh, all your coworkers and your family and your husband and all the people you've helped, it's a big room. There's a big room packed full of people, and I get to give your eulogy. Uh, that's the hypothetical part. What do you hope that I would say about you on that day? Yeah. Well, this is um, this is an appropriately timed question. I've unfortunately been in a season of death recently. Mm. Um, close friends, mentors, family, mm. just all around. And so I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Um, I keep coming back to this idea of like, can you crowdsource a funeral? Like, I just love the idea of people bringing and sharing stories and songs and art, anything they want. And then at the end of it, everybody's sitting outside enjoying good food, drinks, conversation, leaving full at the end of it, regardless of whether that happens or not. Um, I'll make I, sure it does. Oh, please do. Um, first crowdsource funeral. But, you know, I, I hope that people know how much I love them, um, regardless of whether I was good at expressing it or not. I think I'm so passionate that if I were to allow myself to feel every emotion that came across me, I'd be crushed. Um, and so I, I have a bit of a reputation for not liking people. But the truth is, I love people. And I, I hope that I have shown that to the people in my life well. Secondly, I would hope that, um, you know, I, I'm known as a person dedicated to being a light wherever I went. Um, that's been a mantra of, of mine for a long time, um, also birthed out of the Christian faith. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's my attitude in that is what has differentiated me in hopefully all of my professional and personal ventures so far. As a white person who's now working a lot in Africa, it's kind of funny. Never expected that to be mm. literal. But, but you know, I, I hope that some of that spark and illumination, bringing light into a dark place um, and always pointing to a light brighter than myself is something that I strive to do in everything. And so I, I hope that that's part of what you would share. It's a hell of a eulogy. Oh, it's thanks for giving well it. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> most do of it's because job. I did it super well. Yeah, obviously. Well-timed pauses and no. Um, 
what do you want people to go look for? What do you want them to go look up after they hear this interview? Social yeah. media handles, websites, yep. projects you're doing. What, sure. what do you want them to go look up? Uh, well, first of all, go find a refugee and give him a big hug. Second. They need it. Yes. They really, really do. Yeah. And, well, and they're great people too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll have a great time. If you want to look up Leaf, uh, leafglobalfintech.com, Twitter, Leaf Global Tech. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Um, and I'll, I'll put it out there too. You know, we're, we're getting to that spark point of getting to roll out operations and looking for funding. And so we can use a lot of resources. If you ever think of anything that's like, hey, that might be a benefit to them or I think they should meet this person, we'll take it. Um, you know, we're very much in that startup mindset and looking for opportunities to be delightfully surprised by the things that people bring into our lives. Tori, thank you so much for joining me today, Thanks. joining us today. Yeah. Um, this was truly wonderful and uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Thanks, Nick. Dear friends, I truly hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tori, if you did, hit up at Leaf Global Tech, that's at Leaf Global Tech on Instagram or Twitter, and let Tori know. You can find show notes for this podcast episode and all the others by visiting podcast.letsgiveadam.com. That's podcast.letsgiveadam.com. Hit us up on social media. I'm Nick Lapara everywhere, and we're Let's Give a Damn everywhere. And leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way for us and would mean the world to me. Last but not least, this show is edited and produced by the Wizard of Audio himself and my friend, Chad Snavely. Can't wait to share another podcast with you next week. Love you all. Bye for now.